we had this creek called the Preston Creek in our backyard, and that flowed to a larger river. Uh, in the winter, it would totally freeze over. The bigger river would, but the Preston would totally stop. And I could ice skate on it and go to places that you ordinarily couldn't go to. You could access points of nature that otherwise would be inaccessible. Naturally, I got to some really silent spots and spontaneously had experiences. And in that stillness, you get a totally different perspective. If you were to just pour water like into um, a few rocks and just watch how it moves, it'll flow, it'll hit a rock. Before it decides if it's going to go left or right, it'll pillow up there. In Taoism, they say that what you do when you hit these kind of spots in your life is you pause. You step back and breathe or center yourself for a while. You don't take a particular course yet. You let your re inner resources build up first. Then you go this way around it or that way around it. Ordinarily, when we hit some kind of rough patch like that in life, we naturally want the obstacle to be removed. When we have a conflict in our relationship, we naturally want that conflict to go away right away. The problem, though, is that if you want it to go away too soon, you reinforce a delusion. And that delusion is that I need the obstacle to be gone for me to be peaceful. Because if you succeed and you get relief, you more strongly believe that things need to be in place for you to be peaceful. If it doesn't fall into place and you step back and build up your inner resources and again feel peaceful, then you don't need the obstacle to be removed. But you may still want it to be removed. That's why sometimes you, you may see balanced people in what could be like a crisis, but there's no urgency. Because they're just building their inner resources or centering themselves. Even in the smallest examples, this happens. You get a text, and you don't like what the text says. Misunderstanding of something you said earlier by your spouse or your kids. And our impulse is to just fire back. No, 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 you don't understand. Or to resolve it as quickly as possible. Right? But we should take a moment and recognize I'm frustrated. And we oftentimes in those situations think, I need you to understand that that's not what I meant. But could you sit for a moment and with the with the confusion that of the other person? They, they don't have the right idea about me. But I still got to take care of myself first before I try to fix it. Because I'm out of balance. And that's my job. That's not their job. If I make it their job, I, I diminish my inner resources. And so then what do we do? We naturally are always fighting to make changes around us to change other people. Why do we want to change other people? But it happens. Because we think, if you would just be more like this, then I wouldn't be so stressed out. So we're putting the responsibility on external things, on others. If we can get into the healthy habit of centering yourself before you do anything, I gotta go talk to this person, or I gotta go ask for this thing to, to be resolved, but first I'll center myself. So that I'm not doing it to make me happy. I'm not doing it so that I can finally be at peace. I'm doing it just because I think that will make my situation more beautiful, or our family better, or whatever. Because you can be peaceful and still want to change things. 
It's like the Dalai Lama is a pretty peaceful person, but he's definitely doing some work for the world. So he uh, is obviously trying to make some changes, but he doesn't need it to change. That's the difference. He doesn't need a change for him to be happy. He just can do it out of compassion. So when you're peaceful, but the person doesn't understand you, or there's a conflict, or, or there's some suffering, then you're trying to solve it with the energy of compassion, not the energy of anger. The energy of anger is not sustainable. You eventually wear out, you got to take a nap, because you lose all your energy. And you just are totally exhausted. But with compassion, there's no end to your energy. It's like when a compassionate mother or father is caring for a sick child, it doesn't matter how many hours they have to stay up. They just keep going and going and going, or for their loved one, because it's coming from love and compassion. Continuous flow of energy. Compassion is a river. But when we're not aware of that, we're going about trying to resolve things and fix things with the wrong spirit. Or I should say, with, uh, with a weaker energy. And if you're thinking of it as, with the understanding of the universe as my big battery, and I'm, tr I'm drained because of this conflict or situation, and I'm trying to get my energy back through the conflict, Instead of going and plugging into the big battery, and then when I'm recharged, I can drill the screw again or whatever whatever it is I want to do. The battery is drained, and I'm still fighting to accomplish the task. But if you do think of it that way, then it becomes a lot more natural that, well, the best thing to do would be to come back to your universal source. Recharged, you'll have the resources and probably the awareness and the insight, because you took that time to know which direction to flow. So we don't take time to plug into the battery. We were saying in one previous month's group that every day you should step back from your situations and breathe deeply and recharge your battery. Like go to your backyard or open a window so you get some fresh air and you're feeling that charge from nature. If you can, go to your river. Listen to the sound, watch your breath, take in that universal energy. And then I said, once in a while, like every so many years or so, take a pilgrimage to a place like in the wilderness or in the mountains where you could spend a little extended time really plugging into the big battery. What are ways that we resist the flow or the current of our life? We have our ways of denying where we're really flowing towards, where the current is actually taking us. Like, this is actually what it is in this relationship or at this job or with my health. It's not a different path. This is what it is. And when I deny that, it creates a lot of turmoil. It creates a lot more stress. And I'm no longer in the flow. I'm kind of stuck somewhere on a bank or hanging on while the current is saying, come on, come on, come on. And I don't want to go with the flow. Yeah, a lot of times we think of resistance as just wanting to get upstream or backstream where something was better or we had something or prior to losing something or someone. And we treading water. And... Sometimes we work too hard in the water when we're just like, you know, trying to get to where we want to be faster than the current is taking us. 
how long can we do that before we do have to put the oars down and let the river do it for a little while? You know, even if it's a little slower than we'd like. That teaches us patience. And that's where surrender comes in. Surrender means acceptance. And your life only flows in one way. You can't go backwards. You can't grow to a younger age. You can take care of yourself and be more youthful, but you can't grow younger. You have to grow in one direction. You have to flow in one direction. And everything that came before, you can use that as wisdom to make whatever, wherever you're at in the present moment more meaningful to you. Wisdom comes to people, or knowledge comes to people, and then what do we try to do? We try to reconstruct our past. So knowledge comes to us not to reconstruct our past, but to build our future in the present moment. We have this idea that somehow my happiness and everything could have been right in the past. As if there's no present moment and no future. There's no you know, faith in, in that wisdom that it could be used to construct something really beautiful moving forward. Like is a Ferris wheel or a sine wave that just keeps going up and down, up and down, up and down. Things are going your way and nothing is going your way. Then things are going your way and then nothing's going your way. And every time we're coming down on the Ferris wheel and we realize it, we want to go up. We want to go, we're climbing back up. No, 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 don't, don't bring me down. Instead of just trusting, it will come around again. And when you're back up, yes, it will be totally different and there may be different people there, but it's going to be beautiful. Sometimes there's nothing you can do. It is not your time to get that idea across, to get that opportunity, to get that appreciation for your seeds to bear fruit or to sprout, it's just not the time. And then it will be the time. And no matter what, everything's going your way. I think the more we experience that and the more we feel that in the current of life, the less attached you are to where you're at in that cycle. I'll step back or you know, lean into my experience, but I won't try to control it. I'll let the river control it and build up my new resources and take the knowledge that you get from the past points of the river to go forward. Time is also a river, and time is also life. The river is like time because it's flowing, and it doesn't stop. It just keeps going, and it goes in one direction. And our life is a flow of time, from starting point to end point. What is the ultimate destination of the river? The sea. And how do you feel when you're at the sea or you're sitting at the beach at the sea? And sometimes when you see that vastness, it's peaceful. It's like we want to be at that great expanse. Everything flows there. It's one. It's big. It's huge. It's beyond comprehension. It's infinite. And it's peaceful. And the ocean doesn't reject any river. All the rivers come, and the ocean says, yeah, come on. I don't care where you've been. I don't care how long it took for you to get here. So we come up with all these judgments and ideas about who's qualified to flow into the sea. And then when you get to the sea, you realize everything gets to go into the sea. And the sea doesn't discriminate. We discriminate. So one way to think about the way the river of life flows is that it flows based on your values. You may flow here for some time, and you're flowing that way because of your values. Not just your values, but the prioritization of those values. 
what you're honoring with your time is what your values are at that time in the room. And it's not wrong to flow here and there, but if we don't like it, we should have a sense of, well, how do I, how do I flow? So I think if you do that, and then you consult with that as you paddle along, you'll find that your flow is more meaningful as you make this journey. And then you can keep adapting. And you can do that every year, but you could do it today. You could do it for the day. Today, love is the priority. But I should know. I should be in tune with the river and in tune with myself and how I want to flow with it. So there's a couple of things, other things to be aware of when you're thinking of this analogy. Not every river goes straight to the ocean. Sometimes it meets up with another river. You decide to some extent what you want to merge with, who you want to join forces with. And depending on the quality or the nature of those other forces, that affects where you go and what you experience. In, um, in lots of other mysticism traditions, the teacher or the guru is the big river. The big river is the wisdom, or maybe it's like, you know, your holy book or scripture or something that you can trust in. So all these little rivers are going into the big river. The big river knows the way to the ocean. So if you, if you can, go by water this week, or go by a river this week, or a creek or a stream, something flowing, and spend a little time there reflecting on our, our meeting, but mostly just paying deep attention to the flow and to the sound. And see how you feel afterwards. People tend to get better. There's lots of research that shows when people spend time at a body of water or river, they recover faster. So it's really interesting. I think it's possible that we get glimpses of the ocean throughout our life. Definitely good glimpses. People would say in spiritual traditions is the grace of your teacher, even if you don't know your teacher, or it's the grace of the universe, you know, or it's the grace of your own nature, your own self. Because you're peaceful at night when you go to sleep and you're in deep sleep, everything's fine. You're in the ocean, you know, right? There's no like me, other, them, there's no anxiety, there's no depression. There's no parts. There's no body, even. It's just oneness. But you're not really aware, so it's kind of dark, too. So it's like the ocean, but in the negative state. So when the ocean is experienced when you're awake, then it's, then it's called enlightenment in the wisdom traditions. I think we get glimpses. I think we're here because of, you know, there's a glimpse that I could be more peaceful, or I've sensed that, or... I think people spontaneously have some some peaceful experiences even in the course of a day. I think like if you catch a sunset, it might spontaneously be peaceful. And in yogic philosophy, there is a, a text that describes three rivers inside of the human body or inside of your life. One is called Ida, one's called Bingala. So if some of you who study yoga, practice yoga, may have heard of Ida and Pingala. They're two energy channels, but they're described as rivers. And the third one's called Sushumna in Sanskrit. 
Ida means sort of dull, like lethargic, feeling weak, unmotivated, tired, sleepy, little lost, little confused. Any of those, not all of them, any of them. Then Pingala is active, dynamic, or restless, or insomnia, but anything on, on that side. And Sushumna is calmness, peacefulness, and it flows in the middle. Interestingly, for the Hindus, they said that these rivers in the body were also manifested in the rivers in India, like the Ganges, the Yumuna, and there is a mythical river that represents the Sushumna called the Saraswati River that isn't there. But they said mythologically that it's hidden. And in more recent times, they found that there is an underground river in between those two rivers. Ancient sages talked about those three representing these three channels. So what does this mean? Well, at any given time, some of us talked about this before, one nostril or the other has more airflow. Can you check now? So which side? Raise your hand if it's flowing more on the left side. That means you're a little getting a little bit tired of it. <laughs> Ready for us to wrap up soon. Just, just kidding. It means a little maybe a little bit on that side. So raise your hand if it's the right side. That means a little bit more active or a little bit more alert or maybe a lot on your mind. Equal pressure means calm. If you watch throughout the day, it will go from one side to the other, from one side to the other. And if you pay attention to your mood and to your energy and to your flow, you'll find, lo and behold, the kind, I kind of am a little bit more tired now, I'm a little distracted now, or I'm a little more restless now. When it is balanced, you'll notice you feel pretty relaxed. It also tends to flow to some extent with the day. At morning, at sunrise, it'll be closer to balance. Then it will become more active. And then in the evening, it will get balanced again, and then it will go towards idle, and it will oscillate in between depending on what you're doing. The third channel, the Sushumna, is opened up when we get comets, a direct shot right to the ocean, calmer, more relaxed experience. And the only way to get there is to balance these energies in your life, in the body. Balance your mood, your attitude through mindfulness, through centering. And then you don't have to keep getting pulled one way and the other and finding, I can't move forward in life because I go this way and then I want to go this way and then I change my mind and I'm not disciplined with everything. So we need to get that stability and that calmness where we can choose a path, choose a flow, stick with that, be committed to that. And so that's like a, a mystical uh, tradition where they think of the inner river and try to ride it in that way. I brought this book, Siddhartha. Anybody ever read the book, Siddhartha, by Herman Hesse? Mm -hmm. Really beautiful, for me, life-changing book also. But the end is all about a river. And Siddhartha is the, starts as this young boy who is a monk, becomes a monk, and he's trying to find nirvana, and he has all kinds of experiences. Ultimately, he comes to a river, and a ferry boat man who takes people across the river who ends up being this great sage, Vasudeva, 
And so I thought I would just read a, a little bit of the end of this book. Hermann Hesse here, the German author, really paints this all-encompassing symbol of our, of our spiritual journey or our mindfulness journey. One day, Siddhartha rode across the river, consumed by longing, and he got out of the boat with the purpose of going to the town to seek his son. The river flowed softly and gently. It was in the dry season, but its voice rang out strangely. It was laughing. It was distinctly laughing. The river was laughing clearly and merrily at the old ferryman. Siddhartha stood still. He bent over the water in order to hear it better. He saw his face reflected in the quietly moving water. And there was something in this reflection that reminded him of something he had forgotten. And when he reflected on it, he remembered. His face resembled that of another person, whom he had once known and loved and even feared. It resembled the face of his father, the Brahmin. He remembered how once as a youth he had compelled his father to let him go and join the ascetics. How he had taken leave of him, how he had gone and never returned. Had not his father also suffered the same pain that he was now suffering for his own son? Had not his father died long ago alone without having seen his son again? Did he not expect the same fare? Was it not a comedy, a strange and stupid thing, this repetition, this course of events in a fateful circle? The river laughed. Yes, that, that was how it was. Everything that was not suffered to the end and finally concluded recurred and the same sorrows were undergone. Siddhartha climbed into the boat again and rode back to the hut, thinking of his father, thinking of his son, laughed at by the river, in conflict with himself, verging on despair, and no less inclined to laugh aloud at himself and the whole world. The wound still smarted. He still rebelled against his fate. There was still no serenity in conquest of his suffering. Yet he was hopeful, and when he returned to the hut, he was filled with an unconquerable desire to confess to Vasudeva, to disclose everything, to tell everything to the man who knew the art of listening. And Vasudeva sat in the hut, weaving a basket. He no longer worked the fairy boat. His eyes were becoming weak, also his arms and hands, but unchanged and radiant were the happiness and the serene well-being in his face. Siddhartha sat down beside the old man and slowly began to speak. He told him now what he had never mentioned before, how he had gone to the town that time of his wound, of his envy at the sight of, sight of happy fathers, of his knowledge of the folly of such feelings, of his hopeless struggle with himself. He mentioned everything he could tell, even the most painful things. He could disclose everything. He displayed his wound. He told him of his flight that day, how he had rode across the river with the object of wandering into the town, and how the river had laughed. As he went on speaking, and Vasudeva listened to him with a serene face, Siddhartha was more keenly aware than ever of Vasudeva's attentiveness. He felt his troubles, his anxieties, and his secret hopes flow across to him and then return again. Disclosing to this listener was the same as bathing bathing it in the river, until it became cool and one with the river. As he went on talking and confessing, Siddhartha felt more and more that this was no longer Vasudeva, no longer a man who was listening to him. 
He felt that this motionless listener was absorbing his confession as a tree absorbs the rain, that this motionless man was the river itself, that he was eternity itself. As Siddhartha stopped thinking about himself, this recognition of the change in Vasudeva possessed him, and the more he realized it, the less strange he found it. The more did he realize that everything was natural and in order, that Vasudeva had long ago almost always been like that. Only he did not quite recognize it. Indeed, he himself was hardly different from him. He felt that he now regarded Vasudeva as the people regarded the gods, and that this could not last. Inwardly, he began to take leave of Vasudeva. In the meantime, he went on talking. When he finished talking, Vasudeva directed his somewhat weakened glance at him. He did not speak, but his face silently radiated love and serenity, understanding and knowledge. He took Siddhartha's hand, led him to the seat on the riverbank, sat down beside him, and smiled at the river. You have heard it laugh, but you have not heard everything. Let us listen. You will hear more. And anyways, it goes on, and he ends up hearing the final message of the river, and then Siddhartha gets the peace that he's seeking. And then Vasudeva retires, and Siddhartha becomes the ferry boat man. And Siddhartha's old friend comes, and he guides him across the river. So it's all symbolic. We have to look deeply at the river of our life, and we have to practice those things that we talked about tonight. We have to practice allowing the current to carry us, which requires some acceptance, some surrender. We have to practice leaning into the difficulty instead of avoiding it and resisting it, being present with it, but being still and centering ourselves so that our inner resources can build up and we have the strength to move through or around that obstacle. We don't need to get the obstacle to be removed. We need to change ourselves to take the time to build up our inner resources to flow around or over that obstacle. And then we have to think about what are the three values at any time in our life that we're navigating ourselves with and, and that sort of create the kind of flow that we have. Whether we're going to flow here and there or whether we're going to try to go towards our goal or our destination. If you set your things down, we'll do a little river meditation here together. So please sit straight, close your eyes. Start to breathe deeply. Try to imagine that your body is the boat and your life is a river and you're no longer fighting the current. You're allowing life, the current, to do the work. Wherever it may be wanting to lead you. So just feel that you're in a flow. Your whole life is flowing and you're no longer resisting. Thoughts may be there. Let them be there. But try not to get carried away by the thoughts. Now that you're in the flow, you're coming closer to the ocean. Nearing the ocean, let's watch our breath as if we were at, sitting at the ocean watching the waves. Watch your incoming breath as the wave coming onto the shore. Watch your exhalation as the waves going back out to the sea. 
and listen to your breath as if you're listening to the sound of the ocean. Listen deeply. Try to feel that this ocean, this peace is always with you. We just need to make time. Time to merge with it. 